0: I've heard that the majority of New Year's resolutions end within the first month. And I, I can say that's accurate for me sometimes. My New Year's resolution was to exercise three times a week, and it went to a uh, parking farther away in the Walmart parking lot. I <laughs> counted, that, counted that as uh, that's my exercise for the day. Whew! But we like to make New Year's resolutions we want to be better. We want to do things well. Part of it is we want, we want vision. We want to know that our life has purpose. We want to know, we want our, our life to be meaningful. And working with young people, a big thing I get that over and over is just, I have no vision, or I don't know, I don't know what my purpose is. I was talking to a young man this week that just said, I don't know I don't know my purpose to be alive. And purpose is an important thing. So I hear things. I have no vision. I don't, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what God's called me to. And as a young person, we get this idea that as we get older, that we'll be smart and know more. And as we get older, we realize we know less. But a lot of times, the way we answer kids is, well, pray about it. And sometimes praying about it can be really exciting because there'll be like this spotlight and all of a sudden it's like, this is what I'm supposed to do. We're like, run into it, slow motion with, with beautiful music playing in the background. Other times though, it's like we're in a fog and we see a distant light, but we can't tell if it's God or a McDonald's sign. And so it's important to pray for direction but there's times where it helps to have some goalposts. And I want to talk about vision today. And I want to talk about some things that, that we can have vision for. That we don't have to pray about. That's like we can just know, okay, this is okay. It's Jesus' life vision statement. Early on in his ministry when, when he went into the temple. And they were asking, what is going on with this guy? He's, he's healing people. He's doing all this. And he goes into the temple. He opens up Isaiah 61, 1-3. He opens it up and he reads. And he says, this is what's being fulfilled. In Isaiah 61, Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. And most of his book was Israel was in sin. And he was warning Israel, hey, if you continue in this sin, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow. If you continue to walk away from God's protection... Hard times are going to come, and you're not going to have the Jesus blanket. And you're going to get burnt. And, and Isaiah, in all different creative ways, like God showed all kinds of pictures throughout Isaiah, it's, he's warning. And he's saying, turn from your sins. This is happening. This is happening. This is going to happen. Turn from your certain sins. Prepare. And then, as it gets to the end of Isaiah... Isaiah starts to prophesy about a hope coming. He, say, he says, okay, this is going to happen. You're going you're to have a rough time. But, there's this hope that's coming. And he begins to talk about the Messiah, the, the servant. The, he uses a lot of different words for it, but it's Jesus. And in the middle of this, there's Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is a It's a beautiful chapter because it's up to that point. There's things where Isaiah is praying, God the Father is is speaking. But in that, it's actually Jesus speaking. It's Jesus saying, okay, things are hard right now. 400 years in the future, I'm going to come. Sometimes God is not in as big of a hurry as we are. Don't worry, 400 years from now, it's going to be good. He said, okay, I'm coming and this is, this is my vision. Because Isaiah had taken time and spent time with God and got to know the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus said, okay, I'm going to share a secret with my friend Isaiah. Because he was excited. And this is what the secret was. Isaiah 61, 1-3 says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the mantle of praise instead of spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So that was Jesus's vision as he walked out his life here on earth. In his, in his earthly body, he walked out and, and he preached good news to the afflicted. He set the captives free. He bound up the brokenhearted. And you look through all the stories. That's what he was doing. And that's what he, and that's what he was doing on, in this life. And then that's what he accomplished when he said it is finished on the cross. And so after the cross, he went up to heaven and he, and he got a new body here on earth. And the Bible says we are that body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So his vision is a safe vision for us to walk out. We don't have to go, Jesus, do you want me to walk out your vision? Kind of like if, my, if your kids ask you, like if you say, uh, go set the table. Dad, do you want me to set the table? Uh, yeah, I just said that. Well, I don't know, Dad. Do you want me to set the table? But we do that sometimes with Jesus. It's like, all right, this is, this is my vision. You're my body. You walk it out. Jesus, you want me to set the table? You want me to love that person? we walk out his ministry with him, or he walks out his ministry through us. So if we're going to walk it out, we need, to, we need to see first how he walked it out. And, and he gives two, two ways that he walked it out at the beginning. First he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And if you look at Jesus' life, all of Jesus' life was in submission to God the Father and led by the Holy Spirit. He said, I do what I see the Father doing, I I say what the Father tells me to. He says, My will my food is to do the will of my Father. So he he lived in dependence upon the Holy Spirit's leading and the Holy Spirit's power. When he when he started doing his works of miracles, there was a crowd that followed him, because they'd never seen any there was nothing like that in the history of the world. There was a crowd that followed him. And they went, and he went up on a mountain. And he preached his first sermon. And the first line of his first sermon was this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that word poor was a derogatory term in that day. That we're, there was two types of poor. There was the poor like, we're going to have spaghetti, meatless spaghetti again tonight. Who's been that kind of poor? Like, we're gonna have the meatless spaghetti. And then, but this term means one who crouches low. And it meant the beggars. It meant the people that the only way that they could get money was through the favor of someone else. And the beggars were looked down upon. And so, Jesus, everyone's seeing this Messiah and this powerful guy, and they're waiting for him to tell them. The keys to a successful life. Ten steps. And he says, blessed. And that word blessed is a powerful word. It's like, you want power? Realize you're a beggar in the Spirit. That you need the Holy Spirit. That you have no power in yourself. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble and we try to get ourselves out of trouble. We try to... the power of flesh and the power of our flesh and that's kind of like if i have this plug in here and i go okay there's no power i better plug it in why is it not working maybe i try another plug in maybe if i push harder And a lot of times that's how we live our life. Oh, man, I'm stuck in this sin. Well, I just need to set more boundaries. I'm, I'm too f- afraid to talk to my friends about Jesus. Ugh, I just, if, I just, if I just force myself. And we wonder why we don't have power. It's because the power was never meant to be from us. It's meant to be in us. We're a conduit of Jesus' hope and power but it means that we, we have to plug into him. And if we're going to walk out his vision, we need to do that plugged into the Holy Spirit and going, okay, today, Holy Spirit, I need your strength. Today, Holy Spirit, I need your strength. As we go and, and let the Holy Spirit lead us. So he talked about the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And that's being a beggar in the Spirit. And then he said, the second thing he said was, because he has anointed me. What it meant to anoint something, it was to put oil on something. What they, what they did is they anointed things for special purposes. Like when the temple was made, and there, were, and there were tools that needed to be used in the temple, what they did is they put oil on it, and, and they set it aside, and those, and those tools were only used for the temple. So Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, he said, okay, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit for this. Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's filling me up. And I've set myself aside to be used by God. And if we're going, if we're going to walk out Jesus' vision, we have to be set aside. We have to go, okay, Jesus, anoint me for your purposes. Doesn't mean that I, I'm a Christian on Sunday and in the rest of the week uh, have to do the stuff I need to repent for and then come back on Sunday and get my Jesus fix it means that we're surrendered every day it doesn't mean we're sinless it means that we're plugged in and we're going okay man I messed up again put the oil on me again set me aside again so if we're going to walk out his vision we've got to walk it out independence and surrender in order for Christ to do something through us we first must allow him to do it in us we can't create a culture outside of us that's not first in us if we want to if we want to give other people hope we've got to let jesus put his hope in us we can talk all we want but if if the if our culture inside of us if we don't have the hope if we have stuff that that we haven't let him set us free of, then that's going to affect the culture on the outside. There's some people you can just be around that have peace. They don't have to say a word. And there's some people you can be around that just make you tense. When walking out the vision, it starts with letting Jesus do it in us. So what is, what is the vision that he's talking about? First, he talks about bringing good news to the afflicted. Colossians 1.27 it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the word afflicted, it can mean poor. It can be, it, it's someone in dire need. It's someone who has a need that they can't take care of themselves. And so, good news to the afflicted if I'm in a place that I, I need a surgery and the doctor says, hey, I have good news for you, the Patriots made it to the Super Bowl. That's not good news to me good news is we can help you. There's something that can help you. And so the good news to the afflicted, it's the, the people that feel stuck in sin. It's the people that are, that are struggling, that are hopeless, that are discouraged. It's that someone sees you and he knows you and you, you're valued. Your life has a purpose. You haven't sinned too much for him to give up on you. That's the good news to the afflicted. But it starts in us. In Jeremiah 18.4, says this. It says, the vessel was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again. How many of you guys have ever felt marred? You felt like, man, I'm just a screw-up. J. Oswald Sanders, in quoting about this verse, said, Here is the antidote to despair. "'Though marred, the vessel was still in the hands of the potter. "'No matter how sadly your life has been marred, "'your early ideals unrealized, "'you are still in his hands. "'And he is not despaired of you. "'He will make you anew. "'Jacob the Twister becomes Israel the Prince. "'Peter the Denier becomes mighty Pentecostal preacher. "'Mark the Deserter becomes Mark the Profitable. "'So do not despair. "'There is no hopelessness in Christ.' Because there's nothing bigger than Him. And there's nothing bigger than His love for you. You have not sinned too much. Your, your situation is not too big. There's hope. And that's why we need to, the Bible tells us over and over, to encourage. That word encourage means to place courage in somebody. But if you're in that place where you feel marred, It starts with being depending, being that beggar, yelling like Bartimaeus, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me." When Jesus was passing by, blind Bartimaeus wanted to see, and he said, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me." It says the crowd tried to quiet him. And we live in a society that wears a lot of masks. And when you say, "Hey, I'm messed up, I need help," there's gonna it's gonna make other people feel uncomfortable. But he yelled all the louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turned. And there's some of us that we've got to take off our masks of everything's okay and we need to go, I need help. In Adventureville, we teach the one word prayer. Help. Whenever you're stuck, you can always pray that prayer. But we've got to be real. A beggar doesn't care what it looks like. We care so much what other people think about us. It doesn't matter for eternity. It's getting free and realizing all our hope is in him. That's how we let him do it in us. As we do that, we can speak that hope to other people. How many of you guys have been through a situation that you didn't think you'd made it, make it through, and you held to Jesus and you made it through? That's a testimony you can share with other people and you can say i've been where you've been and jesus helped me through then he says bind up the brokenhearted and i love that verse because i've worked with a lot of broken people and we get this idea that that emotional healing can just come quick If you look at Jesus, when he dealt with the emotional wounds in God, when he dealt with the emotional wounds of people, they took their time. He talks about binding up the brokenhearted. When your life has been shattered, it's not something that you can just say, be healed. And now, if you're sick, if something something like that's going on in your body, be healed. But he says, I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. And I know there's people you've been that have been sh- lives have been shattered here maybe it's by abuse or divorce abandonment or loss a big loss that we don't talk about enough in the church is abortion we share one half of it we share that it's a sin and we need to do that we need we need to shout that that it's a sin that it's murder but we don't share God has grace on that too. 40% of women in America have had an abortion. And in the church we need we need to be a safe place where they can go and get healing. Because the the world says just be quiet about it because they don't want to see the pain of it. I had a vision when I was praying a couple years ago for our church and in it there were there were these white horses and these women warriors on them with, with white, white armor that was just beautiful and shining and, and white clear swords. And, and they were riding out and, and God said, these are women that have gotten abortions that, that are going to come from the church and bring healing to other women who have bought into that lie. There's no sin too big there's no brokenness too big. A lot of times we get stuck in the shoulds. Well, I should be better by now. Who said that? It's nowhere in here. Our job is to let him bind us up in his love. If you've been broken by divorce, if you've been broken by abuse, just keep giving that hurt to Jesus. He's not tired of hearing about it. He loves it. He treasures it. He carries your tears in a jar. So we bind up the brokenhearted. And how do we do that? First by in us. In that same sermon I was talking about, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we as a nation we as a people group are horrible at mourning. Like, that's a lost art. And there's a time where we gotta let ourselves mourn and just weep before God. Some of you, that might be scary because there's parts of your heart that you're like, you don't understand. I've shut this off. I don't want to go in there because if I go in there, I might not return. But you can trust God with it. And then, as you, as you allow him to do that in, it, in you, then you're going to be able to have the ability to look in other people's lives. Because a lot of things, there's a saying that hurt people hurt people, and it, it's true. And we can look at people and go, okay, this person's life is a mess, but God loves them. And we can see beyond that mess. We only can do that when we realize how messy our life is. I want a messy church. Because I'm I'm messed up. And if we have a church where just everybody's mature Christians, what that means is we're not getting people saved. And we're not building into the kingdom. If you don't have messy people in your life, then are you walking out Jesus' ministry? All my friends are we've got it all together. Well, find some new friends that need you. Some people say, "Well, I don't like messy people." They're just fussy, messy people. I don't want that in my life. Well, there's a reason. It's probably because you don't want to face the mess in your own heart. And focus and in and go, "Okay, why am why do messy people make me uncomfortable?" They didn't make Jesus uncomfortable. They, he ran to them. So we bind up the broken hearted, and then proclaim liberty to the captives. I love this verse. My daughter is named after this verse. So we are very passionate about this. And I want to talk, because it talks about captives and prisoners. I want to delineate the difference of, of it. Captives are those taken by force. Many times in battle. Prisoners are there because of their own choices. So when he's talking about liberty to the captive, it's, it's people taken by force. And maybe that's something that happened in your life. But uh, ways that we get captive is through the lies of the enemy. In John eight forty four, 44, talking about Satan, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Different things we can be captive to is fear. I can't can't step out. I can't do this, or maybe fear of, like with our finances, or it can be fear of all different things, but it can hold us captive. A lot of my life, fear did hold me captive. I had health issues because of it. It was so, so much. I cared so much what people thought about me used to preach a sermon if there was one person that looked like they were irritated it was like that's all i could think about god set me free from that there's times that fear still wants to hold on but it's it's awesome to be set free and when you're captive you feel like you can't get free like i felt like i couldn't get free of fear or maybe there's discouragement or depression where you just like, you feel like, man, I just can't get past this. Rick Joyner had a vision, and in it there was a prison, a big prison that all these people were in, and with these walls. And finally a young man went to the wall and went through it, and he realized that the walls were cobwebs. Because here's the thing, Jesus is hope to every situation. If you're captive, there's someone stronger than your captor. If that's fear, if that's discouragement, if that's shame. We have shame for different reasons. Some people have shame because they haven't really repented of things. Sometimes shame is a good thing. Like, it's like, okay, I have sin that I don't want to deal with, and so I feel bad about myself. And it's like, okay, deal with the sin. But sometimes shame is something where we're holding on to some, a sin from the past that we've been forgiven for. Satan does this because he wants us to identify with our sin for a couple reasons. If he can go, okay, you had an abortion, therefore, you are a baby murderer. If, if Satan can do that, every time someone talks about abortion... It is a personal attack on you. Because, well, that's who I am. If you deal with pornography, I'm just a porn addict. Whenever anyone talks about it and talks about lust, it's a personal attack on you. If you have same-sex attraction that you've given and you've and you've practiced homosexual sin, you identify by it and someone says, hey, that's an unhealthy urge, you shouldn't do it to sin, all of a sudden they're attacking you. And that's, that's Satan's plan is he wants you to, to identify with your sin because if you identify with your sin, you're not going to part from it. And when someone tries to help you by saying, okay, this is unhealthy for you, you can get out of it, you're going to take them as the enemy and, and feel like they're attacking you. So how do we get free from fear and all of that? First thing is we take it to God. If you look at the Psalms, David seems crazy in the Psalms. Because he will, he will go, and there's some Psalms where he's just like, hey, everything's great. But there's some Psalms where he's like, the whole world is against me. God, you've left me. You've forsaken Israel. I'm by myself. People are gnashing at me with their teeth. I feel hopeless and i'm gonna die It's like very encouraging so 22 verses of a psalm will be that way it will just be about how horrible his life is and how overwhelming it is and and then it the, the like sometimes it's just the very last verse it'll be like praise god you're always there for me it's kind of like what it's kind of like if i if i sat down with stacy and i was like hey stacy Man, you don't do this, don't do that. Man, you're like, hey, you're a good wife. <laughs> but David, David does this, and God obviously liked it because it's in the Bible. It could have been like, hey, David, don't put that, don't put that one in. Let's keep that one between you and me. But he put it in there for a reason, and it was because God wants to know all our gunk. We've got gunk in us. We've got, we, we feel hopeless, but we, we feel like, we, I have to speak in faith when I talk to God. Sometimes we don't feel faithful. We don't feel hopeful. Sometimes we've got to be real about where we're at. And so David would do that, and he'd pour it out, and he'd get all the gunk out, and guess what? Then there's an empty pitcher for God to fill his words in. And so David took his complaint to God. Laid it at the altar. And then God was able to say, hey, this is how I'm here. How many of you guys have ever done that? Like if if Stacy and I are in a fight and she's in the other room and I'm having a pity party and I start talking to God about it. She doesn't care about it. And does anyone else do that? The pity party to God? I'll say all these things. And God will just kind of sit there, let me say it, and then he'll, you were wrong. This is what you need to do. This is the plan. But I got all that gunk out, and he was able to pour it in. So if you want to be set free, it's first getting the gunk out and continuing to get the gunk out. He's not tired of hearing you. And what's awesome, in Isaiah 61.7 later, it says, instead of your shame, he will give you a double portion. So for those of you dealing with shame, identifying yourself through your past sin, here's the awesome thing. As you get free from that, he's not just going to give you just enough to get by, hey, I feel better now, but it's a double portion. What's a double portion? Enough to share with somebody else. And that's the reason Satan attacks our past sin, because it's our testimony It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony that the saints will overcome. So if he can get us to be ashamed of our past sin, then that shuts us off from sharing our testimony and seeing other people get free. And that's why he proclaimed freedom to the the prisoners, too. There's a statistic that 60% of men in America that go to church Look at pornography regularly. That's an epidemic. We talk about cleaning our nation and what to do about our sex-worshipping nation. You want to know what to do, start there. I was addicted to pornography for over eight years of my life. And I was a, part of that time, I was a pastor in Hidden Sin, it was horrible. I did not have any joy. I finally got to the point like Bartimaeus of Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I got tired of living the way I was living. So I said I talked to a pastor and said, Hey, and I didn't know if I'd lose my job, I didn't know what. Like it was just like, Hey, this this is where I'm at and I need freedom. It was a tough process. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating because I'd been wearing my good Christian mask and I had to take it off and show that I was a sinner and need of grace. So if you want to be set free, start walking in the light. It's not about sinless perfection. Jesus is going to do that by the time we're done with the judgment seat. We will be perfect, but it's a process. It's about walking in the light and kind of taking that next step and letting Jesus set us free. So that might be a pornography addiction or some other kind of sexual addiction, unforgiveness, bitterness. Christ in you is the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that when we're tempted, he will provide a way of escape. And he is that way of escape. But we've got to hate our sin and get in the practice of truly repenting. When I first was dealing with pornography, I, I repented of feeling bad. I didn't like the way it made me feel, so I'd go to God and I'd say, I feel so bad. I just didn't, didn't want to feel that way. But I wasn't, my heart wasn't broken over my sin. Sometimes we, we've got to repent beyond just feeling bad, going, okay, I am turning around. I'm doing whatever I can to connect to God in this, and he will set you free. I can say that because I am free. And there are some of you that you're going to have a testimony. You're in the battle right now. Don't give up. Keep going. If there's other addictions, if you're in, in, in drug addiction and you're in the battle, don't give up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. The only way we can lose is giving up. God's grace is bigger than any of our sins. I'm not saying that is an excuse for sin, because God knows your heart. If you're kind of like, "Well, God's grace is bigger than my sins," then you've got more issues than that's another sermon. He ends with two things: proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. When I read this, sometimes I picture this like dun dun music playing in the background, and then. In the day of vengeance, like there's a music drop, <laughs> the day of vengeance of our God, and it kind of seems out of place. There's hope, 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 vengeance. But here's the thing: if we don't identify through our sin, if we don't let it attach to us, we have nothing to fear. The day of vengeance of our God is when we're going to finally be free from the enemy. And the acceptable year of the Lord is knowing that God accepts you. When we come to Him as a beggar and go, I'm surrendering to you of knowing we don't have to keep working for his approval, but we work from that approval, that that I am clean, my past sins are forgiven, and knowing we are in an era of grace, that when he sees me, he doesn't see my sin anymore, but he sees who he's called me. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is bigger. And he wants to place his hope (laughs) inside of you where you can be a conduit where it goes to other people. As we get free, we get testimonies to set other people free. As we break free from the lies, we have freedom to step out. So no matter where you're at right now, you're in a place where you feel overwhelmed and you feel like if if you could really see me right now, you wouldn't like what I see you see, or if you're in a place where feeling in a good spot, we all need Jesus and he is our hope he is our only hope so I want to encourage you today with these things I kind of scratch the surface of all of them, and there's and some of the things I may have even made sound really simple and you're like it's not that simple i've been dealing with this for 30 years it is that simple but it's not that easy it's hard so i encourage you we have a prayer team we want to pray with you talk with people get people if you if you're dealing with with hidden sin get it out it's not worth it i went through eight years of hell and I can say it was hell because it was separating me from the love of my Father. Get it out. If you're brokenhearted, let Him heal you. And then get around messy people. Where are we called? We're called to the hopeless. You see someone in Safeway that looks down? Guess what? You've got a calling. You have a friend who feels down? Guess what? You've got a calling. You have a friend who just had a miscarriage, guess what? You have a calling. Not to preach a sermon, to be there with them. Job's friends went wrong when they started preaching a sermon. Sometimes we feel like, well, I don't have the words to say. Then don't say words. Say, that sucks. I'm praying for you. And let's be that hope. God, I pray for those that are feeling hopeless right now. Pray for anyone who deals with depression, with suicidal thoughts, that Pray that right now that your hope would pierce through the lies of the enemy. Pray for those who have been broken by the sins of this world. Pray that they would be bound in your love. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope.